Well, for this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, and uh, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's the, the classic story of Cain and Abel. And uh, I've been getting a lot of mileage out of this text um, over the last several weeks in uh, just conversations I've been having with people and counseling cases. I've had a chance to open up uh, to Genesis chapter 4, and there's just so much here. There's so much relevance. There's so much practical application uh, in this story. I just thought it would be uh, good for us as a church to go through it and, and to, to have this in our arsenal uh, to fight uh, sin uh, in our own lives, but also uh, to help others uh, that we have a chance to minister to and counsel uh, to fight sin in their lives, and, and, and also a great passage uh, to take an unbeliever to, uh, to show them what their life is like and will be like uh, as long as they continue to rebel against the Lord. And so uh, this is a great passage for a lot of different reasons. So let me just read it for you. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you, and you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one, can, no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Father, we thank you for your word and, and particularly this portion of your word that, that even though it's thousands of years old, is extremely relevant for our lives today. And I pray your spirit would illuminate our minds now and help us to understand uh, what uh, is going on in this text and, and how it applies to our lives. And Lord, use this time to uh, equip us and to uh, minister to us, Lord, so that we could be better equipped to minister to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the late 1960s, Frank Sinatra popularized a song called My Way. You remember that song? It tells the story of an old man reflecting on his life as he was approaching death and having experienced all the blessings and challenges life has to offer. He proudly and even defiantly declares, I did it my way, right? You remember that song? Sorry for the song, but you, you know it, right? You've heard that song, I did it my way. Well, I can't think of a, a, a better theme song for the life of Cain than I did it my way. Because he defied God who gave him his life and he literally did it his way. In fact, when the apostle Jude pronounced judgment on false teachers, he said in Jude 11, they have gone the way of Cain. They have gone the way of Cain. And Jude's condemnation, I don't think, just applies to those who distort God's truth and 
lead people astray from, from God, but also they apply to everyone who rejects God's truth and rebels against it. And the story of Cain and Abel is really a, a story about faith and unbelief, and mainly the emphasis is on unbelief, because the story is more about Cain than it is about Abel. Cain's name is mentioned 14 times in this story, which is twice as many times as, as Abel is mentioned. And so consequently, the story is, is more about unbelief than it is about belief. I guess one way we could look at this, this story is that, that Cain was the first unbeliever in Scripture. He was the, the prototype of, of a pagan. And he serves as a, as a tragic example of every unrepentant sinner who has ever lived or will, or will ever live in rebellion against God. I think you realize this, that the, that the entire human race can be divided into, into two classes. There are believers who humbly submit to God and His Word, and there are unbelievers who pridefully rebel against God and His Word. And believers experience peace and joy and abundant life here on this earth, along with the hope of eternal life in heaven. Unbelievers, on the other hand, they experience anxiety and frustration and an aimless life here on earth, and and they are doomed to spend eternity in hell. The question this morning is, which class are you a part of? What, what kind of life are you experiencing right now? Could you say you're experiencing peace and joy and an abundant life? Or are you experiencing anxiety and frustration and a sense of aimlessness in your life? Where are you going to spend eternity is another question you need to ask yourself. And today you'll be able to answer all these questions with absolute certainty because we're going to have an opportunity to choose what kind of life We live here on earth and where we spend eternity. Because in this story about Cain, the Spirit of God through the pen of Moses really describes here or provides a a detailed description of an unbeliever. And there are, are seven characteristics of unbelievers who are guilty of going the way of Cain. And hopefully as we go through these seven characteristics, uh, they will not describe your life. If by the end of our time this morning, uh, each of these seven characteristics is a description of your life, then that means you are going the way of Cain, which you don't want to go the way of Cain. Um, Basically, what we want to see is we don't want to be Cain. Don't be this guy. And so what, what is Cain, what kind of guy was he? What does it mean to go the way of Cain? Well, let's look at these seven characteristics of an unbeliever. First of all, Those who go the way of Cain disregard God's gift of life. Those who go the way of Cain disregard God's gift of life. Notice verse 1. Now the man, that's Adam, had relationships with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. That word relations uh, literally in the Hebrew is knew, that Adam knew his wife, which was an expression in those days used to describe sexual intercourse between a husband and wife, which resulted in kids. And so they had two kids. They had Cain, two sons. Cain, which meant gotten one. And then Abel, which means vapor or breath, which may have been an ominous foreshadowing of of how short his life was. But we we need to understand, first of all, that life is a gift from God. None of us would be sitting here uh, this morning unless God had granted us life and breath and all things. That's what it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 25. God gives to all life and breath and all things, and he made from one every ma- nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek God. And so Paul was just telling the people there on, the, on Mars Hill how God had made everyone created everyone from originally Adam, put us all over the face of this earth, determined exactly when we would live, what era in, in world history we'd live, and, and what, where, what geographical location we would live. And he, he determined and controlled all of these things for one purpose, that we would what? Seek Him. That we would seek to have a relationship with Him. And so we need to realize that life is a gift from God, ultimately to be used for His honor and glory, but also life is a fleeting gift that we must never take for granted. Why? Because God could take our lives at any time. Psalm 39, 5, 
David wrote, you have made my days as hand breaths. In other words, there's a span between your pinky and your thumb. Uh, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. James 4.14, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. It's like when you go out on a cold morning and you can see your breath, right? You just see it and then it's gone. That's how the Bible describes our life. And so since God is the giver of life, we have no right to take our own life or anyone else's life for that matter, right? One of the Ten Commandments was thou shalt not what? Murder. Thou shalt not kill. Exodus 20 verse 13. However, Cain disregarded life, um, not only his own life, but his brother's life. Life was cheap to him, Um, so much so that he killed his brother. He took away his brother's life. He failed to acknowledge that life was a gift from God, not only his life, but his brother's life. And so I think that's where it starts for, for an unbeliever is that they, they just disregard God's gift of life. They, they think, you know what, my life is, is, is my life and I can do with it whatever I want and it really doesn't matter how my life affects anyone else's life and their life really doesn't matter and even if I kill them, it won't matter. And so just a, just a, a, a wrong view of life, a low view of life. Secondly, those who go the way of Cain fail to offer God what he requires of them. So not only does God give them life, and they disregard it, they don't offer to God what He requires of them. We know according to Romans chapter 1 that it says even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks, right? A description of unbelievers. But notice uh, how it's played out here in the story of Cain and Abel. It says Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. And so Adam put his boys to work um, because that was part of the curse, was you're going to have to to make a living by the sweat of your brow. And so um, Cain took a liking to farming, able to, to shepherding. Uh, Both professions, by the way, were equally worthy before the Lord. And so uh, at the appointed time, a time that God had prescribed for them to bring an offering, Cain brought some fruit uh, or vegetables and Abel brought an animal. And it says that God approved of Abel's offering, but he disproved of Cain's offering. The question is why? Well, first of all, I believe that God had already clearly instructed these boys or these men, what kind of offering they were to bring. Surely uh, their parents, Adam and Eve, had explained to them how their sin uh, in the garden had broken man's fellowship with God and, and that shortly after he banished them from the garden, he had killed an animal to provide them with clothes to cover their nakedness. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. However, that was not just to provide them clothes, but to provide a, 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 an example or really to foreshadow the sacrificial system where God would provide atonement for a person's sin through the shedding of the blood of an animal that was killed in their place. So so, so there's more than going on than just providing a wardrobe for Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, This was a a, a prefiguring of the sacrificial system. And so Cain uh, clearly disregarded the instruction that he had received from his mom and dad, and he came with a bloodless offering of fruits and vegetables, which some commentators say is really representative of human works um, that were produced by his own strength, his own hard work. And so Cain's fruit could be likened to man's righteousness that the Bible says is as filthy rags in God's eyes. In other words, it accomplishes nothing in making us right with God. Abel's offering, on the other hand, points forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was slain to take away the sin of the world. Abel acted in faith and obedience. Cain acted in unbelief and disobedience. He was trusting in his own righteousness, whereas Abel was trusting in the provision that God had made, this this blood sacrifice. You say, well, you're making a lot of assumptions there. Where do you come up with this? Well, notice what um, the writer of Hebrews says about Abel. Hebrews chapter 11, in this, uh, the hall of faith there, where 
the, the writer is um, defining faith and then gives all these illustrations of, of people in the Old Testament who live by faith. And the first one he mentions is Abel. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And so he says, Abel uh, offered to God a better sacrifice. He did it by faith, and it was just simply proving that he was a righteous man. In other words, he did the right thing. And I think this text in Hebrews 11 and also the text in Genesis 4 implies here that that what Cain brought before the Lord was not his best and it was not his first. It was merely a token sacrifice. It looked good maybe on the outside. It looked religious, but it wasn't from the heart. And we know that God cares more about our hearts than he does about our offerings. Remember what Samuel said to to uh, Saul when he, re- when he disobeyed God and didn't wipe out the Amalekites and said he saved some of the, 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 the sheep to, to offer as a sacrifice. And, and, and this is what Samuel said. He said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. In other words, you, sh- you should have just obeyed God. He would have he liked that a lot better than you showing up and, and offering him all these, these, these uh, animals that you should have killed in the first place. David said this in Psalm 51, You did not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so all that to say these two sacrifices, these two offerings, if you will, were simply a reflection of these men's hearts. The fact that Abel brought the first and the best showed that he had a right heart before God, that he was, he was seeking to, to be truly pleasing to the Lord. Cain was like, whatever, I'm just going to grab the first thing I see. I got to go and offer this offering. I'm just going to throw some stuff together and I'm going to come. And he, he was just going through the motions here. He, his heart was far away from God as, a, as, as a Jesus confronted the Pharisees. He said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are what? Far from me. Your heart's not in this. Or as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.5, that, 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 that Cain was holding to a form of godliness, although had denied its power, right? He looked godly. He looked like he was doing everything. He, was, he, he showed up. He was sitting here in church, you know, with his Bible on his lap, sang the songs, did everything his brother did, right? But there was something different about their hearts. And the bottom line was that Cain did his own thing, which is the essence of rebellion against God. He, he craved autonomy, basically self-rule. He, he didn't want to live his life God's way. He, he wanted to live it his way. So he failed to offer God what he required of him. Number three, those who go the way of Cain resent God and respond wrongly to his word. They resent God and respond wrongly to his word. Notice verse six. Well, at the end of verse five, so Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now this is um, a great case study here um, about anger and depression. Um, I mean, Cain was livid, and he, he fell into this state of depression, and, 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 and you could tell he was depressed by just looking at him, his countenance. God said, why is your countenance fallen? In other words, you're, why, are you, why are you looking so sad? Why are you walking around, why you have a little mopey face on, right? You're just moping around here. Um, interesting, in Isaiah chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, we have a description of, of what happens when we rebel against the Lord. Uh, Isaiah is obviously talking to the nation of Judah here. He says, For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord to rebel against His glorious presence. 
So Isaiah was confronting the nation of Judah and saying, you guys have rebelled against the Lord. And then he says this in verse 9, the expression of their faces bears witness against them. In other words, I can tell you're living in rebellion just by the look on your face. All i got to do is just look at your face, look at your countenance, and, and I can tell that you are living in sin. And so what does God do here? God graciously warned Cain and wisely counseled Cain. And, and I think what he was doing here was he was giving him another opportunity to obey him, to, to make things right, to bring the right kind of offering with a right heart. He says, listen, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? He says, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and his desire is for you, but you must master it. Again, let's, let's talk of just a second. I can't help but mention something about the dynamics of depression here, which is, by the way, something that we all struggle with. It's not just something that only a few people struggle with. Um, I think all of us at times get depressed. We get down. We get discouraged. And how, however you want to call it, however you want to define it, we, 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 our countenance falls, does it not? I mean, there's nobody that's just like constantly up and their countenance never falls, okay? Even if it's in private, maybe you can keep a, keep a, keep a good face in public, but when you get home and all by yourself, you, you have a fallen countenance. Well, why is that? Well, it's very simple. He says, if you do right, you'll feel right. If you, if you do the right thing, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, if you want to feel right, do right. And, and, and typically, at least what I've discerned in my own life as I've struggled with depression from time to time, that it, that it results from doing or not doing what is right, which often results in, 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 in a feeling like not wanting to do anything. You ever been there where you get, you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing or you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing and you get, you get overwhelmed by this, by this, you don't feel like doing anything, so you become paralyzed and immobilized by guilt, And we know lots of people in the Bible experience depression as a result of not thinking rightly or acting rightly. Um, Saul, Elijah, David, Jeremiah, Jonah. Um, And I think we need to just think biblically about this whole issue of depression because we know that in, in, our, in the world in which we live that, that basically depression is being diagnosed as some kind of chemical problem. In fact, there's a thing called, uh, in our society called clinical depression, which makes it sound very medical, right? You have, you have clinical depression, um, which requires some kind of medication. Um, now, granted, there, I think there are some times where depression could be the cause, uh, could be caused by some physiological problem, maybe something going on in your body, like, like diabetes sometimes causes your moods to swing a little bit, your blood sugar, high blood pressure. Maybe you have a brain tumor you're not even aware of, and, and, uh, or an overactive thyroid, or something that's affecting kind of your emotions and things like that. But normally, I think uh, that, that depression is a spiritual problem. It's feeling sorry for yourself. It's, it's brooding over things. It's getting behind on tasks. It's, it's harboring resentment. It's lying. It's, it's cheating. It's stealing. It's overeating. It's procrastinating big decisions or neglecting responsibilities or anything you can think of that would lead to guilty feelings. And let me just go on record here because I, I don't want to be misunderstood uh, as a church. I don't want our counseling ministry to be misunderstand, uh, misunderstood. We do not believe that it's a sin to take antidepressants, okay? Nowhere in the Bible says, thou shalt not take Paxil or whatever else is being marketed today, and that's what it is. It's being marketed today uh, as an antidote to depression. But, but at least you need to admit this, okay, is that it's only dealing with the symptoms, it's only dealing with the symptoms. It's, it might make you feel better, but so does morphine if you're sitting on a nail. You take morphine, and it's going to make you feel better. It's going to deal with the symptoms. Wow, what, man, that really hurts. What is it? I take morphine. Oh, I feel better now. Well, don't you think it'd be better just to get off the nail, right? Get, deal with the root problem, whatever it might be, and, and hopefully you don't have to take the morphine anymore, right? 
well, what's the remedy then if, if, we, if, if it is what God says? Okay, God says, listen, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? In other words, the, the remedy for depression is to repent. He was confronting here in a very loving, gracious way uh, this man who was not only angry, but he was, he was uh, premeditating murder. He was thinking about murdering his brother. And so, practically, what might that look like? Well, maybe a good homework assignment would be to go home. If, you're, if your countenance has fallen and you're dealing with some depression in, in your life, well, go home and make a list of what you're doing or not doing that's causing you to be depressed. Well, what are the things you're doing or not doing that's causing you to be depressed? And then begin to go down that list and begin doing those things or stop doing those things, right? Uh, and being faithful to your responsibilities, regardless of how you feel, and trust God that your feelings will follow in time. Well, Cain didn't respond well at all to God's counsel. Rather than repenting and remedying the situation in order to be pleasing to God, Cain just got more mad. In fact, I think he would have killed God if it was possible. And so it wasn't possible, and he took out his anger towards God on his brother. Look at verse 8. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And this is, a, this is amazing to think about, that, that, that Cain was so mad that he couldn't be talked out of his sin, not even by God himself. I mean, this is, this is like, we've got a kind of a window into a counseling session between God and an unbeliever. And he couldn't even get talked out of his sin by God himself. And, and God advised him to do the right thing and all would be well. And so he was pleading with him, he was, he was appealing to him, if you will, as he does us. Do you realize that God, I believe, pleads with us and appeals to us to talk us out of sinning? When we're being faced with temptation, I was reminded of this um, thought uh, just uh, yesterday when I was reading through one of the uh, Puritan prayers in the Valley of Vision called, Yet I Sin. And this is what the Puritan wrote, My faculties have been a weapon of revolt against thee. As a rebel, I've misused my strength and served the foul adversary of thy kingdom. And this is what he said. Listen to this. Thy loving spirit strives with me, brings me scriptural warnings, speaks in startling providences, allures by secret whispers. Have you experienced that in your walk with the Lord? Where you're in a situation of temptation and the Spirit of God is striving within you and He's reminding you of what the Scripture says and he, He's speaking to you in startling providences. He's alluring you by secret whispers. In other words, He's trying to draw you away from that temptation. Yet, the Puritan continues, I choose devices and desires to my own hurt, impiously resent, grieve, and provoke Him to abandon me. Unfortunately, I know that experience all too well, that it, sometimes I spurn, right, the, the, the uh, words of the Holy Spirit, the warnings of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and grieve the Holy Spirit. Notice this phrase, it's a very important phrase in verse 7, if you do not do well, in other words, if you choose not to repent, if you choose not to do the right thing, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. I mean, what a vivid picture of, of, of sin just kind of crouching down and, and ready to leap, you know, pounce out and just psh, tackle you and knock you down and, and hold you captive. And so God was saying, listen, Cain, you don't realize, but sin is desiring to master you, but you can master it if you choose. And it's the same for us. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Paul says that we are no longer slaves to sin, Consider yourself dead to sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its lust, for sin shall not be master over you. In other words, sin is trying to be, become our master. Every one of us, sin is, sin is like, sin, this is true of all of us, that sin is crouching at the door of our lives and its desire is for us. It wants to master us. And he's saying, but you can, you can resist it. You, you must master it. 
Well, he rejected God's counsel here. He refused to repent. And as a result, sin pounced on him and turned him into a murderer. What's the lesson for us? Listen, if you're filled with anger, bitterness, resentment, frustration, self-pity, all the things that I'm sure were going on in, in Cain's mind and heart, right? It not only robs you of joy and peace, and not only does it cause your countenance to fall, but it makes you easy prey for Satan. I mean, you're easy pickings. And it's, 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 it's a dangerous thing to hold a grudge against someone and to harbor bitter feelings in your heart and let that root of bitterness grow or to wallow in self-pity. Because all this can be used by Satan to lead you into temptation and, and to sin and, and, and you give the Satan an opportunity. It's like you, you open up the door of your life to Satan. And so when you don't resolve these things in your heart and you don't forgive it, it just eats you up and then the next thing you know you lash out in anger and you, you do things you regret like say hateful things to people or worse, end up killing them, Right? We don't have time to look at this, but Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, hey, you've been told not to murder anyone, not to kill anybody, but even if you call some guy a jerk, it's as if you killed him. Because it's all from the heart of anger. And we know that Cain probably murdered his brother in his heart many times before he actually committed that act. And so... We're looking at the way of Cain here, and again, what, is, what does he do? Well, he, he resents God and responds wrongly to his word. And notice the logic here of the, the flow of this text. Number four, those who go the way of Cain refuse to admit their sin to God. Even though they wrongly respond to the word of God and they sin, they refuse to admit their sin to God. Notice verse nine, then the Lord said to Cain, where is, your, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, obviously, God didn't ask Cain these questions because he didn't know what happened to his brother. Um, What was he doing? He was graciously giving Cain an opportunity to tell the truth, to confess his sin, just like God had done with his parents in the garden. Remember when, when God showed up in the garden after they ate the fruit and they were hiding, and God says, hey, uh, why are you guys hiding? As if God didn't know why they were hiding, but he was giving them an opportunity to say, well, the reason why we're hiding is because we did something you told us not to do, and, and we're wrong, and would you please forgive us? They didn't say that. What did Adam say? Hey, it's the woman you gave me, God. She did it, and then the woman said, well, it was that serpent. He deceived me, and they started shifting blame, Right? pointing fingers at everybody. Nobody was willing to confess and admit their sin to God. Well, the apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree here, right? Cain's doing the same thing. He was evasive. He tried to cover up his sin. He's actually trying to lie his way out of this. I mean, that's how skewed this guy was in his heart and his mind. He thought he could lie to God and get away with it. You know, kill your brother, bury him in the ground and say, well, I don't know where he went. I don't know. Have you seen him? I haven't seen him. And so he was very smug, he was very sarcastic in the way he replied to God, he, am, I, am I my brother's keeper? Which the obvious answer to that question is what? Absolutely. Absolutely you were to be your brother's keeper. And God just says, listen, his bro- the, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. God knew full well what he had done. And according to Numbers chapter 35, the shedding of innocent blood pollutes the land and cries out for justice. God said, hey, listen, I'm going to give you the promised land, but you better not be killing each other and leaving dead bodies all over the place because you're going to pollute the land. Another key passage we need to look at in the New Testament that helps us gain a proper understanding of this story of Cain and Abel is is 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 Here's another reference to Cain. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. So what's the opposite of love? 
hate, right? So Cain was a, a brother hater, not a brother lover, uh, who, was an, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so here you have it, that Cain was of the devil. Um, his deeds were evil, but he, he, he refused to admit that. And in the same context, in 1 John 1, one of the marks of an, of an unbeliever is that they fail to admit that they're sinners. How, how do you know if you're a believer or an unbeliever? Well, listen to what John said, 1 John 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. And so essentially, Cain was a liar um, God's word was not in him. Why? Because he was essentially saying he had no sin. He was not willing to confess his sin to the Lord. A characteristic of an unbeliever. That's why it's a big deal to us whenever our kids um, do something wrong, and, or maybe my wife and I do something wrong, uh, that, that we don't want anybody denying, right, that they did something wrong. We want them to, we don't want them to obviously don't lie about it, right? And, and, and then admit it. Just, just admit it. Stop defending yourself, right? Stop justifying yourself. Just admit it. You did something wrong. It's okay. We all do things wrong. We all sin, but just admit it. And then we can move on, right? You can be forgiven and we'll put it behind us and move on, right? But, but the longer you deny it or you debate with us about it or you justify it or you whatever, right? Protest, um, we can't move on. It's a mark of an unbeliever. Number five, those who go the way of Cain receive the due penalty for their sin. You may not admit your sin, right? But you will receive the due penalty for your sin. Verse 11, now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Well, you, you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, God uh, cursed the ground, making it, hard, uh, to, making it hard work to enjoy its fruits, right? They said, it's not that you couldn't enjoy the fruits uh, of this earth, but you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to, you'll, you'll enjoy that by the, spread, the sweat of your brow, is what God told Adam. Well, now he cursed Cain from even being able to benefit from the sweat of his brow, in other words, as a tiller of the ground, I mean, this was the worst possible scenario. God could have done a lot of things to this guy, but this was the absolute worst. He took away his livelihood. This is the, how this guy made a living, was, was tilling the ground. And he said, listen, you, you're no longer going to be able to make a living from the soil. No matter how hard you work, no matter how much you sweat, you will never see any fruit from your labor. Ever again. You'll never enjoy another harvest. And so he was up a creek without a paddle at that point, right? Um, and as a result, he was condemned to live the rest of his life as a fugitive, as a, as a nomad who would have to go around scavenging for food wherever he went because he could never work for his own food. But this was a due penalty for his sin. In Right? The blood went in the ground and the ground was cursed. So the consequences, right, matched the offense, if you will. Number six, those who go the way of Cain protest against God's judgment. Those who go the way of Cain protest against God's judgment. In other words, not only will they not admit their sin, but then when they experience the consequences of their sin, then they protest. They, they, they continue to argue with God like, this, is, this isn't fair. This is, this is more than I can handle. Notice verse 13. 
He says, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And so here's Cain complaining and, and, and really protesting the punishment that, that, that was, was, was given to him, that it was just it was too severe. And I think that his, his attitude here reveals remorse for the, 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 the consequences or the circumstances that he, he, he found himself in because of his sin, but he wasn't truly re- repentant of the sin itself. It's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 through 11. There's, there's, there's godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, and there's worldly sorrow that just leads to sorrow. In other words, one is you feel bad about the sin so much so that you repent of it. The other one is you just feel bad about the consequences of the sin, but the, the next chance you get a chance to do it, you're going to do it again anyway. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. He was evidencing here, demonstrating, modeling for us worldly sorrow. He only cared about the punishment, not repentance. And he knew that he would forever be a restless soul for whom there was no remedy. And then finally, number seven, another characteristic of an unbeliever is those who go the way of Cain fail to appreciate God's common grace. They fail to appreciate God's common grace. Common grace is an expression that theologians came up with to describe how God is good to everyone. That when it rains, it doesn't just water your grass, it waters the grass of your unbelieving neighbor, right? You're not the only one uh, that's going to get to go out to eat today and have food provided, and you're going to bow your head and thank the Lord at the restaurant, thank you for this food, or at home this afternoon, thank you for this food, and, and God's pride. Guess what? The person sitting at the table next to you in the restaurant, notice, they never bow their head, they never thank the Lord, but guess what? God's being good to them. That's common grace, right? He's providing food, he's providing rain for, for all of his creatures, But they fail to appreciate that grace as coming from the hand of God. Notice verse 15. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. And so God here graciously protected him by giving him some mark or some sign that would keep people from avenging Abel's murder and, and, and killing him. We're not told what this mark looked like. It could have been some kind of physical mark on his body. We're not sure. But uh, it was some way that people could identify that he was under divine protection and he didn't mess with this guy. And again, God's protective seal was an act of mercy. I mean, God was still being merciful to this guy not giving him what he deserved. What did he deserve? He deserved to die, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, blood for blood, right? That was the the era in which he lived, but God was merciful, didn't give him what he deserved, but Cain just continued to just go his own way. It's like you would have thought that might have softened his heart a little bit, might have turned him towards the Lord, but notice what it says, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Thanks, God, for the, the little mark on my forehead. I'm out of here. Thanks, God, for not killing me or letting anybody else kill me. I'm out of here. I'm going to go do my own. I'm going to keep doing my, do it my way. I'm going to keep doing it my way, God. So he went away from God's presence, and God banished him from his presence and condemned him to a life of ceaseless wandering. It says, and he settled in the land of Nod east of Eden. Nod was somehow related to restless wandering. It's part of the etymology of that word, and it was a land of fugitives. Um, In other words, he would spend the rest of his life looking for peace and happiness and never finding it. I mean, is that not an apt picture of the life of every believer? That that they are a wanderer, they are are a, a vagrant I think Cain's punishment here is a, is a vivid preview of hell. 
what, what it would be like to be excluded from God's presence, deprived from all peace and all comfort, and to be continually tormented day after day after day, especially living with the shame of your sin. If you're a, a Christian, if you're a believer, the Bible likens you to a pilgrim, which is way better than a wanderer, right? The big difference between a pilgrim and a wanderer, right? A pilgrim, uh, he's heading home, right? He's on a journey, and he knows where he's coming from, and he knows where he's going. That's, that's the pilgrim. He, he's just passing through. But a wanderer has no home, and he just roams aimlessly and hopelessly through life without any peace or rest, doesn't know where he came from, doesn't know where he's going. What a miserable existence. Isaiah 48, 22, it says there is no peace for the wicked. Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. Some of you might be wondering, why is my life so hard? It seems like all these bad things happen to me. It could be. I'm not saying bad things don't happen to to God's people, right, and to Christians, but it it could be the reason why you just keep running your head into a brick wall is because you're not a believer, And you've chosen to trust in yourself, and that's why God is not blessing anything you do. Because you're trusting yourself, you're doing it your way and not His way. And so God, again, very graciously, very mercifully pointed out the way of escape to Cain. He says, Cain, there's a way out. It's very simple. If you do the right thing, your countenance will be lifted. This whole story could have been changed, right? Could have been different. The whole outcome. But he chose his own way. He chose the way of Cain. And so I ask you this morning, are you going the way of Cain? Are you traveling the way of Cain? You say, what's that? Well, if these seven characteristics of an unbeliever are characteristics of your life, then that's evidence that you are traveling the way of Cain. You're going the way of Cain. The way of Cain is the way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to what? Death. It's the broad way that leads to destruction, not the narrow way that leads to life. It's rejecting the way of salvation provided for sinners through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so God is calling out today for you. He's he's graciously, he's mercifully reaching out to you and counseling you and, and, and trying to woo you to heed his warnings and to turn back to him while there's time. And if you don't, you're going to consign yourself to a miserable existence and an even more miserable eternity. So it's your choice. You're going to go to the way of Cain or are you going to go to the way of Christ? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One more passage we've got to look at before we close, and that's Hebrews chapter 12. Again, Abel, the story of Cain and Abel referenced here by the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. In other words, this is just more language, more evidence, more proof that the writer of Hebrews is heaping up to show uh, these Jewish uh, Christians that, that there's no reason they should go back to Judaism because what they found in Christ is far better, far superior. And notice how he ends. This is the grand crescendo. He says, and to Jesus. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God because it was offered in faith, but it only provided a temporary covering for his sin. We know ultimately his offering prefigured Christ's sacrifice of his own life, which provided a a permanent covering for sin. 
And so Christ's blood is is far better than the the sacrifice that even Abel made to be a righteous man to stand up and do the right thing and he lost his life for it. But how much better was the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross to provide atonement for our sin? Warren Wiersbe says this, the blood of Abel speaks from the earth, but Christ's blood speaks from heaven. Abel's blood cries out for justice, but Christ's blood speaks of justice satisfied on the cross. Abel's blood declared Cain's guilt and made him a wanderer, but Christ's blood speaks of grace and forgiveness and reconciles believing sinners to God. Listen, there is no reason why you need to live as a wanderer and a vagrant on this earth. Because there is a way for you to find hope and peace and direction and fulfillment and forgiveness and the hope of heaven, and that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word and just even this Old Testament passage uh, filled with, with references to, to the plan of salvation, the, the, the way of salvation in Christ. And Lord, I pray that there's anyone here this morning who... Who, who knows that they just saw a description of themselves, that this is exactly the way they are, the way they think, the way they live. Uh, Lord, that you would humble them today and, and uh, grant them repentance and, and faith, and Lord, that they would not want to go the way of Cain um, because that way ends up in hell, Lord, but they would want to go the way of Christ, and so help them to do the right thing. Lord, which is to to confess their sin and and to repent of it and to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Lord, that that, uh, you would be honored and glorified to draw uh, people like Cain, uh, unbelievers like Cain, to yourself today. And I pray you'd give us opportunities, Father, as we interact with unbelievers on a daily basis as we go about our our week, Lord, that we might be able to have an opportunity to to open up your word and and share this story uh, with them, to to show them what path they're on and the way that they're going and where it's going to end up and that you'd use your word to to confront them and challenge them and help them to, to, to not be like Cain and Lord, and even as we minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who may be dis- struggling with either depression or any kind of sin, Lord, that we would be reminded this morning that, 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 that sin is no longer our master, but that you call us to master sin in our lives. And so would you grant us grace to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.